Hey, Nora. Hi, babe. How are you? Not bad. Not bad. Good. Yeah. Getting chilly. November. It is. Are you buying any new clothes for winter to keep you warm? I have an excellent parka. Other than that, I'm going to wear my pajamas around all winter long. <laughs> That's it. That's <laughs> Under the, your parka. The bar is lower. Under the parka. This is something. When we first started, which is a long time ago now, more than 10 years, we first noticed, in particular, I first noticed all of these different modes of transportation mm -hmm. for people to get around to get us away from cars. Hanging cars, zipping around on overhead lines and, you know, super fast trains and so on. Monorails. So, yeah, 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 yeah. And there is this company called Next Future Transportation Incorporated. I don't know how, don't you dare ask me how this works. <laughs> how does it work? How does it work? Because they don't tell you how it yeah. works. It's at the early concept stage, right? So they don't have to have all the things ironed out yet, I guess. The notion is, is to use existing roadways. Mm -hmm. They're going to have these cars. They almost look like little railway cars. And you call them up using your app, and the little railway car comes up to your house and you hop on. Mm -hmm. And then somebody else on their app calls up the little railway car and away it goes and it picks them up. And then they may end up at a larger hub where there are more little railway cars. Then they start to all connect together. So like, let's suppose you had to go down, if you were in Toronto, you had to go from you know York Mills down to Union or something, mm -hmm. you could get on. Or if you wanted to get off somewhere, then you hit the app and the little railway car, your railway car stops. And if necessary, if there's other people going another way, the rail, that little railway car will continue on a different way or the main railway car with everybody else, mm -hmm. we'll continue on to Union Station. Yeah. The cars themselves are kind of small. They're smaller than, you know, like a subway car or whatever. Yeah, they're yeah, they hold 10 for, people. Yeah. And they're quite kind of futuristic looking. They're glam. neat. I think the guy is a Italian, which explains sure the glamorous sound. Italian design. Yeah, yeah. The design is fabulous. But it's a, little, it's a little bit in mind of the way European trains work, where like... You know, the train will be going in direction and the cars get separated off as you stop at various podunk stops along the way, except that in this case, it would actually, these individual cars would actually come and pick you up like at your house or at your workplace and then join up with the car that's going down to you know, yeah. Union Station or Milton or wherever the more popular destination is. Yeah, in a weird way, it just, it sort of feels like it fits with Uber. Mm -hmm. Do you know? Sure, Uber, we're not, all the cars aren't connecting. But it's kind of the same. It's almost like all these little train cars are coming to pick you up. Yeah. But the catch of it is there's no driver. <laughs> <laughs> it's computer controlled. Right. And because it's, it's not like a dedicated rail or anything, like it's on the regular road. So I'm imagining they're, yes. they're envisioning this as a time when, you know, we have all the bugs ironed out of um, autonomous vehicles. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, when I read this, I thought about your book because a lot of how traffic is going to be moved around cities is by looking at all the data that mm. has been amassed from the cars. So they will, the, the cloud computer will tell, oh my God, the Don Valley Parkway is jammed. Tell everybody to go over this way. But I did it immediately made me think of your book. You too? Uh, it didn't actually, but now that you say it, it's, it does kind of remind me of my book. And your Uber point is really interesting because you know, one of the things about these autonomous vehicles is that people think, and Uber to an extent as well, is that, you know, why need 
to have your own individual vehicle if you could just have transit wherever you want to go, whenever you want to go. And this thing struck me as being like an interesting midway point between either Uber or having an individual vehicle on the one hand, which would be very like resource intensive to build all those things. Yeah or have enough room on the roads for all of them. And on the other hand, mass transit, right, where it combines the best of both of those worlds, which I thought was kind of an interesting approach. Like, I yeah. I, I thought it was kind of cool. I mean, I don't know if it'll actually come to be realized, but it certainly you know is I neat. The most? Oh, it took me back to the early 80s. <laughs> Before the <police>. shoulder pads? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe they'll come back. Mm. Then. They call it the service car. Mm. And it's got like a toilet on it. But never mind the toilet. It doesn't really say, but you can get snacks. Yes, yeah. And then I bet you can get beer. And I thought, <laughs> bar car! Bar car! <laughs> the return of the bar car. <laughs> that would be nice. The return of like a nice, luxurious kind of experience instead of being crammed into the subway like a yeah, well, sardine. Who knows what they're going to actually look like, but they sure looked cool. And they looked, it's actually it's really well worth taking a look at them. They yeah. look, it's a really neat design. I don't know how on earth it's going to work, but we'll see. Yeah. But we're all kind of getting forced in together, aren't we? No more autonomy. Damn it. I'm going to be holed up in a bunker somewhere by the time know, that comes I know. around anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I should have like five people living in the apartment with me or something. Right. <laughs> well, I, speaking of things that are in the near future, recently I emceed this day-long conference called B3D, mm-hmm. which was basically this conference about 3D scanning and printing, how it's being used in the arts, how it's being used in architecture, how it's being used in manufacturing, and where the future seems to be going. I mean, I love so this lucky stuff, right? To go to that stuff. It, it was cool. It was very cool. I was asked by Ed Bertinsky to do it, which was also super. <gasps> wow! I know. You're an editor, pal. <laughs> no, I'd never met him before. Well, I'd met him on this before, but anyway. Like, most of my exposure and knowledge of 3D printing was at the kind of hobbyist level. Yeah. But the stuff that the enterprise-grade 3D printers can do is really, it's incredible. They had this one thing that was the Erebus Bell, which was a model of the bell that they found that was underwater from the Franklin expedition mm-hmm. of the HMS Erebus. And the realism was incredible really incredible. And so then, you know, you start to think about, okay, what does that look like? Maybe not when I'm in my apartment printing out my sneakers, but when (laughs) we have like, similar to your, (laughs) similar to your idea of this next future modular transportation, way more decentralized hubs of printing out um, stuff. So maybe it's not in my house, but maybe it's at the corner store or at the local mall where that becomes a distribution center for all these different kinds of things or for way more customization, which was another thing. Bridget Shim, the architect, yeah, has yeah. really interesting talk She's about, smart. very smart, about the use of customization in the stuff that she does and how 3D printing can be a part of that. Do they use As one printing? of many, many approaches, that's one approach that they use. But they will use 3D hunks of something in their architecture? They use it to make their models out mm-hmm. of Um, as an alternative to making them by hand, I guess. It was interesting to hear about all those things. But one of the things that was super interesting was there was a conversation about art and curation. Uh And the conversation really turned on, like, well, what does something being authentic really mean? Like, if you can produce something that's an exact duplicate, does it really matter if you can see the original thing? We're back to Walter Benjamin and art in the age of mechanical reproduction. Mm -hmm. We're back to a 100-year-old argument. 
Mm-hmm. And something you and I have talked about before, too. I was thinking about this, and I thought I was very fortunate, and I got to see David this year. Yeah. But with this, you could actually print out David, maybe even perhaps create the room that David's in with the prisoners and everything. Would it be the same? I don't know. Is there going to be, again, like we talk about two tiers of the way that people can appreciate things. Mm-hmm. The real and then the poor people do it on their computers or in some sort of a space where they've created it in a three-dimensional environment. But a lot of people go to see the David in that outdoor version, which is not the real one, right? I like, know. And, and it's And it's an qu- interesting question. Like, if I didn't know that that wasn't the real one, I wouldn't know that it wasn't the real one. I'm sure I. <laughs> I'm a Philistine. <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I would have thought exactly the same thing if my cousin didn't say, she said, the day you go to see David, put on blinders and don't look any way than straight ahead and then just be guided that way. Because mm-hmm. you do not want to see the one, the other one, outside because mm-hmm. you'll think that's it. Just in closing... This 3D stuff, it could be huge in terms of manufacturing themselves and selling themselves online. Yeah. There are challenges with the kinds of materials that you can use, but I think mm-hmm. those problems, first of all, will start to be solved. And, and second of all, maybe it makes a difference between the things that are custom printed versus the things that are made by hand. And the stuff that's made by hand is the stuff that doesn't get printed out any longer. Or else that's mass manufactured because it's cheap and easy to do that yeah, way. Yeah, it's almost like there's And you need three. 10 million identical widgets instead of three yeah. custom widgets. It's almost like there's three. There's one that's made by hand. There's the three-dimensional one. And then there's the manufactured piece of shit. Well, not even piece of shit, but just something that needs you need to make 10 million copies. Because it's really slow to make these 3D printed things. God, you're lucky to go and see that stuff. It was super cool. Anyway, we'll put up links to all this stuff. And um, I've got links to like super cool scan stuff from the Smithsonian. Uh, institution well worth checking out so. did you go there too no no but like they put a ton of their stuff online you and ads no <laughs> they put a ton of their stuff uh, online and the scanning is unbelievable how detailed it is unbelievable i can tell you're lying you and ed took a <laughs> copter to the smithsonian drinking book clicot all the way and went and saw this stuff i'm so jealous and you didn't even come and pick me up you know where the roof of my building is i do <laughs> all right we'll come. see you next time check out the links on your phone or at the sniffer.net bye bye